0: You're listening to Feral Attraction, hosted by Metrico and Vero, the science collie. On this week's episode, we opened with a discussion on how small eyes can set the stage for major betrayals. Our main topic is on motivation versus discipline. We discuss the motivations for dating, achievements, and how to inspire your self when enthusiasm sours. We close this week's episode with questions on finding a pack and fuck buddy struggles hello again and welcome to feral attraction i'm metrico and i'm Vero the science collie so Viro, um it's you were telling me a little bit about an article that you found in the new york times that deals with the way that people lie and how lies over a
1: period of time can can kind of become easier almost like a slippery slope Yeah, exactly. So there's a study published in Nature Neuroscience that really showed that the brain can become desensitized, in fact, to dishonesty. And they actually uh, found some functional underpinnings for how that works. So it turns out that people who tell small self-serving lies are actually more likely to progress to bigger and bigger falsehoods and betrayals. And the cognitive basis for this uh, kind of dishonesty slippery slope uh, when it comes to cheating, lying, and betrayal is that There's actually some desensitization that goes on in the amygdala, which is sort of the brain's control center for emotions and processing emotion. And what they found through functional MRIs and other techniques uh, was that this uh, brain center for emotion can actually become desensitized to the negative response your body naturally feels to telling a falsehood. Children, when they grow up, actually, uh, you can find this through experimentation at very young ages, children are actually averse to lying. They actually feel negative impact on that it's kind of built into the human experience but it turns out you can actually deprogram that from your body by lying repeatedly and, and kind of graduating to bigger and bigger lies this is how con artists can tend to lie fluently and shamelessly and it's kind of this process where you actually build yourself into that is what these, uh, these scientists are suggesting with their research and the way they figured this out was actually by putting 80 people into scenarios where they could repeatedly lie and they would get paid more based on the magnitude of their lies. So they were actually being incentivized through financial means to kind of graduate through lying more and more. And so as you would expect, uh, the participants, when they found out that yes, the more they, in fact, the more they lied, the more they would get, they proceeded to more and more lying over time. But what the researchers found is that although there was initially an escalation response in the amygdala, which was showing an emotional response to the lying, which was making them feel uneasy. And once they got past a certain point, that response very quickly kind of fell off a cliff. And the amygdala was no longer having that response. So they'd completely inured themselves to lying and were now able to lie shamelessly and with no remorse. So okay. that has a lot of ramifications, I think. And especially in the LGBT community, I think it's mm-hmm. extremely relevant because there are situations that unfortunately in our lives call for a lot of habitual lying. And it's unfortunate that it has this effect on the brain because if you're not careful, and I think a lot of LGBT people that can fall victim to this. The lying that you have to do to survive can actually infiltrate the rest of your life, and you can begin lying habitually even to people that you love and care about. And that's a really dangerous thing because you don't want to be lying to those people. Romantic relationships, which is the subject of this podcast, and sexual relationships, which rely on informed disclosure for proper consent, demand trust and transparency. And a lot of gay kids are really used to secrecy and lying because that's how they've learned to survive. In order to get through having a rocky home life or a conservative parents or you know bullying at school or any number of things, they've attempted to present as straight or downplayed to their parents the extent of their sexual you know interests or you know, gender identity. All of these things. So I think you know particularly LGBT people need to pay attention to this and, and kind of be be watchful over themselves that maybe through habitual lines that they've had to do in order to survive being an LGBT person. They aren't actually setting themselves up to be unethical in their relationships by lying without even really thinking about it because they've they've kind of turned off this, the brain's natural way of feeling that gut check on when you're telling a lie. You now need that to be something you do cognitively, that you think about, and that you do before you take an action to question yourself, am I being truthful here? Is this the right thing to be doing? Because unfortunately, you've disarmed your brain's kind of alarm system on that sort of thing.
0: Right. I mean, a lot of LGBT... Um individuals, especially teenagers, that had to stay in the closet. You, you, there is a tendency for, for us to develop a style of compulsive lying where it becomes so easy. You, you're always wearing a mask. You're basically an actor that you lose sense of self. And the lies that you tell other people become your reality. And they start really small, but they can grow to be really, really grandiose. I, I've known people who every word out of their mouth was a goddamn lie. And the reason for that was because they had to lie to their parents. They would hang out with me and there would be, you know, an open... Person, They would be able to openly live their life, but they were so accustomed to lying that they just couldn't turn it off. So um, we worked on that for a bit. And one of the ways you can kind of combat that is you have to be honest and vulnerable with somebody and you have to say, this is something that I struggle with. You know, sometimes when people tell stories about their lives, about their accomplishments, I feel the need to one up them, even though it's not correct. So for him, anytime that he would say a lie, it's I would rely on him to say, I don't know why I just said that. That was not right. That was a lie. And it sounds kind of silly and it sounds a little bit humiliating to where he would have to admit straight after being like, oh, yeah, well, I climbed Mount Everest just using toothpicks and chopsticks that I don't know why I said that that was a lie. Like the thing is, is that going back to what Vera said, you have to have a cognitive kind of Check, And if you can't rely on yourself to be that check because you're not reliable, you do need to get yourself an accountability, buddy. You need to get yourself a good Judy who is able to keep you in your lane.
1: Yeah, and that might mean also learning how not to resent that person and how to get over feelings of shame and humiliation Mm -hmm. at having this kind of side of yourself that you really hate, that you have a lot of self-loathing about. You probably don't like that you lie to people and you don't like how it erodes your sense of integrity. But you've got this real uh, kind of sore spot in your sense of self that you then need someone else to help you fill in. And you have to also figure out how not to resent that person for being able to see what you're most vulnerable. And that can also be very difficult. So there's a lot of sensitive things here that you have to really grapple with if you're unfortunate enough to be in the situation where you've had to inure yourself to lying through no real fault of your own.
0: Right. You know, when it comes to some other situations, um, I, I've spoken in the past about being sent to conversion therapy by my parents and... That was a hellish experience and a half. But one of the things that they do there is they try to train your yourself to lie to yourself. You're not lying to other people. You're not compulsively lying about yourself to other people. You're lying about yourself to yourself, about your body's reactions, about the ways that you think and feel and love, about what makes your dick hard or your pussy wet. And that's even more damaging because with other people, you can put on a mask and then hopefully take it off. But if you're lying to yourself and you manage to convince yourself of that lie, that's not always going to stick. You see many, many, many stories of people that have been through conversion therapy, whether it's voluntarily or not, and they live a straight, normal heterosexual life with 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. And then one day when they're 40s and their 50s, when they have grown kids or kids that are in high school or college, they're like, uh, I secretly like the dick. And then it wrecks the relationship. It wrecks, you know, the, the entire family. And it's something that is incredibly damaging to everybody involved. You can't lie to yourself. It becomes easier to lie to yourself the more and more that you do it. If you can't be honest with yourself about who you are as an individual, then you're not actually capable of sustaining a relationship with anybody else. Because being honest with yourself is one of the foundations for you know being a competent human being. If you can't be honest with yourself, if you have to lie to yourself about everything, well... Oh well, you know, I would have passed that test because I'm smart. You know, they graded it incorrectly. If you have to constantly reassure yourself through lies, I don't really like Dick. That was just, you know, a one-time thing. Everybody experiments. You know, I really like vagina or whatever you want to lie to yourself about. The thing is is that you can't base a life off of lies. You neither can you you can't base a relationship off of lies either. The second that that becomes the foundation upon which your achievements attempt to stand, one day they're all going to crumble down. They're all just going to crash down. It's a house of cards that you're building. You can't lie to yourself. You have to always be honest with yourself, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you don't like the answers. If you're struggling with self-honesty, that's a little bit more difficult to combat because you get stuck in this tale. The story that you write of your own life kind of is difficult to rewrite, especially once it's just scri- like scribbled in ink with lies all over it. It's difficult to re- you know kind of
1: unfuck, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, I've been kind of nodding along with Metrico the entire time he's been t- uh, speaking, because this is something that I feel really passionate about. But those of you uh, on the podcast don't have the benefit of seeing me nod, so I'm just going to verbally mm-hmm. acknowledge that. I've been nodding very vigorously while you've been talking, Metrico.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, you've been a blur. <laughs>
1: But yeah, for sure, I think being honest with yourself is one of the most important things. It's really foundational for such things as empathy, which we kind of talked about last week. Part of empathy Mm -hmm. is kind of first being able to accept yourself so that you can get yourself out of the way. If you're constantly fighting yourself, you're going to keep yourself in kind of your mind's focus. And it's really hard to then suppress yourself enough to get to the point of being able to empathize with another human being. Because yourself is so in conflict that you can't really quiet yourself enough to, to really listen to another person, you're always going to be listening to your internal struggle. So I think that's kind of another good connection to make is to mm-hmm. how we get to empathy. Part of that is by settling our conflicts with the self. And that means being truthful with ourselves, right? Right.
0: And if you can ever be honest about yourself to yourself, if you lock away the parts of yourself that you don't like. You know, you might be gay, but you don't want to be. You might be trans, and that makes you feel uncomfortable or upset. And so you just refuse to acknowledge and you lie that's a choice that you make. It might be a choice that you make based off of religious reasons, personal reasons, ethical, whatever reasons you want to look at. But the fact is, is that you can't do that forever. If you're ever curious as to, well, I always feel miserable or depressed or upset, think about whether it's something that you're not willing to accept about yourself, something that might change the perception of yourself. You might want to be this complete, like, machismo like super buff mess you know awesome masculine guy and you realize you know actually that's not what i think i am but this is what i want so i'm going to repress this and i'll deal with that later that doesn't work like, you're going to be miserable up until that point. And even then, that period of acceptance, like, well, it's been 10 years, I guess it's time for me to put this away and then move on. No, that doesn't work. Like, as Vero said, you you, you become so focused on yourself and you're so focused on subduing the parts of yourself that you don't want to accept that it's difficult to really accept anybody else. You're, you're so in the way you're. You know, you're sabotaging your own life when you do things like that. Conversion therapy does not work. Conversion therapy has no proven scientific fact that it works. All it is is strapping electrodes to your dick and shocking you every time that you get hard looking at another guy. Fuck. It's not good. I mean, there's more to it, but like that's the crux of it. It's using negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement to try to reprogram the brain you're lying to yourself, you're brainwashing yourself. If you don't, if you keep lying to yourself, you are in fact brainwashing yourself. Don't do that. Allow yourself to be comfortable with who you are. Allow yourself to accept yourself as you are because that's going to be the foundation for other relationships. And once you tell that first lie, the study shows it's easier to tell the next line and
1: the next line and the next line. And then even with people that you love, and this is how a lot of people become cheaters. It's not because they're actually selfish monsters just because they've let themselves erode their integrity to the point where making that jump into doing something impulsively that is selfish becomes so easy because they've eroded their sense of self to the point where they don't really have that sense of integrity, that that alarm system anymore. So that's why you wanna be careful about that. And if you know that you're one of those people who doesn't have that alarm system any longer because you've kind of desensitized your brain, you do need to install a cognitive warning system where you're actually being mindful and questioning yourself and saying, is this the right thing to be doing? Am I honoring my commitments right now? Is this the person that I want to be? You have to be asking those questions constantly. And that doesn't mean you have to yeah, you have to be insecure or that you have to be really kind of reticent to do anything at all. You can ask these things of yourself very quickly. It's not like you have to really hem and haw. That's not what I'm suggesting. But you do need to be able to grapple with these questions. Is this what I really want to be doing? Is this moving me in the direction of greatest courage? Is this getting me where I want to go in my relationships? Those mm-hmm. questions you might need to be asking yourself if you know that you've you know, again, been in this position of lying a lot and to the point where lying is too easy for you. You have to, you have to be self-aware of in that situation.
0: You know, it's, it's, I've been called at times in my life, a high functioning sociopath where because I had to lie for so long to so many people, lying is incredibly easy for me with, uh, you know, adding that with the fact that the whole guilt thing isn't necessarily that strong of an emotional tug for me. So I'm, 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 f- like primed to be a con sociopathic artist of like doom and gloom. Like I should be on wall street right now, but (laughs) (laughs) the thing is, is that even if you don't feel guilt, as Vera said, you have to have, you know, that, that cognitive dashboard of like, Oh fuck, am I fucking up? Like, is there something wrong? You know, it's, it's for, for me personally, you know, lying started as an act you were i was playing a role you know i was playing the role of the heterosexual son the religious son things like that and for a lot of gay teens that's how it starts as well the the straight acting son the straight daughter you know the son the daughter if you're trans and that role becomes easier and easier to kind of come by because i mean if you look at method acting the longer that you do something full-time, the easier it is to become that full-time. You don't ever want to put yourself in that position. I know a lot of people, they come from households because I came from a household where being gay was unacceptable, where heaven forbid, if I were trans, I probably would have been lynched. Like my family was not that great when it came to issues of, you know, concerning the gay, lesbian, transsexual community let alone really any other community other than the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. <laughs> so, and even then they kind of sucked to that too. Let's be honest, they kind of were failures, but you know, hey, <laughs> it's, remember that you have to live life. You can't play act it. You can't pretend it. If you have to do that in the short term, if you have to do that temporarily in order to get through a situation, whether it's you're going to college and your parents are funding your college. And they wouldn't probably kick you out if you were gay, but they may stop funding your... Yeah, I mean, that would pro- cause problems. Sometimes you have to keep that mask on, but you understand that it is a mask. You keep yourself in reality check. The issue with lying to other people is when you start believing those lies. You always have to keep that in check. If you're going to play a role, if you're going to play a role in order to get something, in order to get out of a situation, you have to keep in mind constantly the truth because that's where the integrity comes from. So this is a topic that's very important to me because for a time I did somewhat struggle with lying because I was so accustomed to it. You know, uh, when I was 16, 17, I was constantly having issues with telling people tall tales, and it was a difficult habit to break. It took me about a year, but I think I'm pretty good now.
1: Yeah, I think the Stoics have something useful to say here, which is that everything you do should be deliberate. That includes mm-hmm. things like lying. Uh, lying does have maybe have its place, I and mean, we're not saying never tell a lie. If, if it's a matter between your safety and like getting out of a situation, you can lie. You can say mm-hmm. you're meeting somebody if you're if you want to get out of a bad situation where you feel like you might get raped. I mean, there there are plenty of legitimate reasons to lie to somebody. Um, But you want to make sure you're lying deliberately. You never want to get in a situation where you're lying compulsively or lying just because it gets you some advantage, right? You want to think about what is the reason for this lie. Self-preservation is a reasonable reason to lie, I would say. So if you're lying for self-preservation, tell that lie. Go for it. But if the reason you're lying is because your parents will give you some money or the reason you're lying is because if not, your partner's going to leave you. Or the reason you're lying is because you really want that person to sleep with you or because you really want that person to go bear with you like you have to think about what are you know what are my motivations for this lie are they good motivations or bad motivations and lying should be deliberate it should be a conscious choice it should be something that you choose and if you're finding yourself lying for other reasons or lying for extremely self-serving reasons that's where you want to start setting up those alarm bells that your body's maybe turned off which is why am I doing this? Is this really is this really who I want to be? Is this serving my integrity? Is this serving my sense of self? Right? Right. I mean if you don't have a natural like guilt response, I
0: recommend going to Catholic
1: mass for a few <laughs> days
0: and then learning how to guilt yourself automatically.
1: Oh yes. And that'll get my the Ca- amygdala. Boom. <laughs> yeah, my Catholic background definitely. I, I'm primed for this. I, I I was born for this, Mexico.
0: <laughs> this was the role you were born for.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: But yeah, it is true. Indiscriminate lies are counterproductive to life in general. So if you're going to lie, give it a purpose. Give it a name. Give it a reason. Don't lie for the sake of lying. Don't lie for the sake of having fun. Don't lie for the sake of impressing somebody else. Lie because you dis- lie because it's necessary. So I think, you know, this is a good topic because like a lot of people, and this is something we might want to visit in the future again at some point, because a lot of people do struggle with this, especially within the gay community. So you know, take a take a second anytime that you tell a lie, and just think about why you told that.
1: Yeah, and for if, the record, that article had nothing to do with anything LGBT. We just—that's our podcast take on it. It's kind of mm-hmm. our way of hooking it hooking it into our show. Oh so we, yeah, yeah. We wanted to want to be clear on that that they, they didn't actually study these mm-hmm. things that we're talking about, but these are examples that we're extrapolating from the article. So
0: yeah, I mean, and also my own life, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if that's that counts as a quantitative stuff that is is
1: anecdotal metrico, as we like to say plural anecdote is not data but we will uh, we will take it as uh, supporting the uh, the overall notion
0: I'm going to publish that in the journal of I
1: swear this was peer reviewed yeah we were talking about that before the show you know I honestly wish we had some of our before the show content recorded as a bonus episode because that was a pretty great conversation
0: you would learn how much I actually curse (laughs) (laughs) oh dear they can never hear that
1: no they can never hear that uh, you'll also hear our fresh takes on the entire geopolitical system, which I think the, the NSA is uh, is very privy to that. But uh, we'll, we'll say it for you guys for another time. Yeah. <laughs> so but, with that, shall we launch into our main topic?
0: Yeah, it's um, it's actually kind of funny because this does our our top of the shit topic does somewhat play a little bit into our main topic. We're talking about motivation versus discipline. You know, when we talk about installing like a a self. Warning, like an alarm bell that goes off every time you lie. Some people will feel very motivated. They're like, "I need to unfuck my life. And it's great, and it's easy for that first day, that first week, that first month. but then it becomes tiresome because you're always keeping yourself in check. That motivation for self-improvement is not there. That's where discipline comes in. We're going to be talking about the difference between motivation and discipline, why discipline is a little bit more important and, vastly superior to motivation. And what you can do in order to instill that in your life and in your relationships, and how you can get over the requirement for motivation to get your ass in gear. You know, it's it's funny because like I I, I do kind of have to say this at the start. We're not talking about the discipline like in a DS kind of setting. We're not talking about disciplining your sub. <laughs> We're we're talking about self discipline.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that on another episode, but that is not the topic this evening, <laughs> right?
0: So, you know, it's 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 funny because I think that we came up with this topic when we were having a discussion with um, Koji.
1: Yeah, Koji is unfortunately extremely sick today and has a very sore throat, so he's not able to join us. But this was a bit of, supposed to be a bit of a Koji show, unfortunately. Fox is only here with us in spirit today. Yeah.
0: And, you know, he was talking about, you know, being an artist and how he sometimes sees, and this is something that we as a, you know, as the furry community sometimes see when people will start these grandiose projects and they're super motivated. Like I'm going to, for the month of October, it's Inktober every day. I'm going to draw something new and it's going to be original and it's going to be amazing they get through that first few days and then they're just like, well, I'm just not motivated to do this anymore. So, you know, I'm just going to stop. Or maybe it's they open up commissions and they're like, yeah, I'm going to crank these out really fast. They're going to have a very fast turnaround. And two years later, you are still commissionless. Where? What the fuck is going on? Where's the commission? <laughs> and meanwhile, you look and they're taking new commissions when they have a two year old backlog. What the hell? The thing is, is that a lot of people, I think everybody experiences motivation. Everybody is motivated to do something, whether it's the new year, you're wanting to get your ass to the gym to get into shape, whether it's, you know, wanting to go vegetarian, whether it's trying a new hobby, learning a new language, picking something up, that motivation, that initial burst of enthusiasm is great. But enthusiasm has a tendency to sour. It has an expiration date. And it's what you do after that point that really matters. Discipline has a lot to do with integrity. It has a lot to do with empathy. It has a lot to do with communication. Discipline is kind of an all-encompassing term. And it touches so many different parts of your life and the relationships that you have with other people that it is what colors those relationships.
1: And I actually have a slightly different take on what the way I think about discipline and the way I tied to self-discipline together with kind of discipline in terms of how you relate to other people. And that's, uh, I I really approach a lot of my relationships and the way that I get to things like uh, nonviolent communication and empathy and, and discipline and motivation. The way I approach all these things is through Kind of a lens of mindfulness and Stoicism, like Greek Stoicism. And the Stoics have this really cool thing that they talk about. And I mentioned this earlier at the top of the show, too. The idea that everything you should do should be intentional, right? And so, uh, and Stoics are really, don't think you should ever be particularly reactive to your outside environment. They were really big on the idea that you should be in control of what you're putting your effort into at all times, that you don't want to let the world steal you, Right. There's this idea that, you know, your time is your own. Don't let other people take your time. Your time belongs to you. You should be using it the ways that you intended to meet and work on your long-term goals. You shouldn't just be constantly reactive. And so that's I think, resonates a lot with modern society because obviously our phones are constantly notifying us. We've got all these things begging for attention constantly. But at the end of the day, what you really want is to be in control of what you're choosing to do. You don't just want to be reaching for your phone reflexively every time it dings, but you want to be saying, I need to be checking my phone right now because I haven't looked at my messages in a half hour. So I'm choosing to do that, right? This idea of being intentional and making deliberate choices. Yeah, I mean so the, way, the way I look at at motivation, motivation is being reactive, right? Motivation is being reactive where you're, you're just kind of jumping in and saying, okay, I feel like doing this thing, I'm going to do that thing. That's being reactive. You feel this thing drawing you. Discipline is being intentional. Discipline is saying, I have this thing that I want to accomplish, and so I'm choosing to do the action that moves me there. And so that's how I look at discipline versus motivation. Being extremely reactive to that thing that's just begging for your attention right now, and being disciplined is you know, choosing to make, uh, instead of for maybe forgoing what's motivating you right now, and choosing to make progress on that thing that's moving you towards your long-term goals.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry I almost cut you off there. Oh, uh, no problem. <laughs> no, it's um a lot of people, you know, discipline is one of those things that has, it's, it's a beast of many definitions, we'll say. But regardless of your take on it, it you know, going back to the first episode of the show, you need to find the definition of discipline that works for you. It could be the more stoic definition where it's working on what you need before you get to what you want. It could be, you know, focusing more on kind of toughing through certain things when you don't necessarily want to.
1: Or mindfulness, which is Mm -hmm. being intentional with what you're doing, right?
0: Right. I mean, it has so many different definitions that, you know, the thing is, is that they're, they're not mutually exclusive. It's not you can have one definition and the rest are bullshit. Everything works together in a beautiful way. The thing is, is that discipline, when it comes to relationships, it plays an integral role. And I kind of hit on this a little bit beforehand, but you know, when we talk about discipline in a relationship, you really can't be in a relationship without any kind of discipline. So I'm going to, we had some notes typed up and I'm actually going to do them in a different order and I'll fix them later. Don't worry, Vero, but The whole idea I'll strap myself in. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) So the whole idea in a relationship, so you start dating somebody and it's new and it's fresh and it's exciting and you're feeling that new relationship energy and it's really easy to be in that relationship. You're getting to learn somebody new. You're getting to learn what they like, what they don't like. You're learning how to make them happy and you really fucking want to make them happy because you enjoy seeing them happy. You enjoy being with them and you enjoy being with them when they're happy. But over time, that energy is going to fade away. Over time, you're no longer going to necessarily feel as strongly as you do. Sure, you're going to want your partner to be happy, but maybe you want a little bit more free time. Maybe you want a little bit more time to yourself. Maybe you just want to hang out with the guys tonight and You've spent all day with your partner and you just kind of want to do your own thing for a bit. Discipline is knowing that even though those good times of the start of the relationship, the, the frenzy of new relationship energy has dampened, you still love your partner. You still, you're still in love with them. You still love them and you want the best for them. And you, 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 it's not, sometimes it's not the easiest thing. You know, it sometimes is not going to be as easy as, Oh yeah, well we can do this together and we'll do that together. And we'll get two toilets in the bathroom and we'll shit together. We'll do everything together. New relationship energy is really frenetic. And once that levels out, you need to have the discipline to continue working on improving the relationship over time. And even though the relationship is no longer as convenient, perhaps, as it was when it first started, it's been a long, it's been a little while. Maybe you have different jobs. Maybe you work different schedules. Maybe you're buying a house together. You have shared bills, shared responsibilities, and it's no longer just fun and games of we'll hang out at your house for the weekend and we'll fuck like rabbits or foxes or whatever animal (laughs) that you want to be. Kali isn't my case, but sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So having the discipline in a relationship is still working at it when it's no longer convenient. But it's not just working blindly. It's not working for the sake of working. If a relationship is having issues, it's not avoiding those issues and working on other things. It's not shoring up the beachfront against a hurricane when there's a tornado behind you destroying the fuck out of everything. You have to have the discipline to focus on the things that matter in the relationship. You need to have, I would say, discriminant determination. It has to be targeted determination, a stoic determination, that bad times are going to happen But in the words of Animal Crossing, bad times are just bad times. And determination and discipline joined together to make a relationship work will help you weather those bad times. That being said, maybe the bad times are just too bad. Maybe something really bad happens. Your partner cheats on you, breaks a boundary, violates the terms of the relationship. The discipline from there is that you have to have the discipline to hold firm to the commitments to yourself as well. If you work hard at making a relationship better, but your partner does something that you have an emotional boundary against, that they are fully aware, they cheat on you, they lie to you in a way that is unforgivable, they go out of their way to irreparably damage the relationship, you are faced with a choice. You can either work for the relationship or you can work for yourself. You get to a point where the commitments that you make to another person and the commitments that you make to yourself in order to maintain your integrity almost become equivalent, especially the longer that you're with a partner because they feel equally important. But the fact of the matter is, is that your personal integrity is always going to be the most essential thing. You might fall asleep with your partner in bed, but at the end of the day, you fall asleep alone. It's just you in your head. And if you can't maintain the commitment to yourself, if you can't maintain the discipline to maintain your integrity, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it ends a relationship with somebody that you love, relationships are just going to be a series of people walking all over you. Discipline is effectively the brace that maintains your emotional boundaries. Emotional boundaries are flimsy and they are frail. Um, discipline to maintain them, to make sure that they matter. They're not just indiscriminate emotional boundaries because you goddamn feel like it. Discipline applies to integrity, which determines your emotional boundaries. All of these things work together. So, again, You know, discipline with a relationship, it helps you work on the relationship, but it maintains your personal integrity. That's why I think that every definition of discipline really works together.
1: (laughs) Um, For sure. Do you have anything else to say on the the discipline of relationships topic? Can we move on to our uh, kind of addressing how discipline works in relation to motivation in in, in a bit more detail?
0: There is the idea of nonviolent communication as well. You know, it's, it's, we kind of did want to hit on this because nonviolent communication is definitely a choice. It is not something that for most people comes naturally. People in general, we tend to be fairly selfish, let's be honest. You know, we, we, and and to be fair, there is a virtue in selfishness to an extent. Selfishness to the extent that it preserves your integrity, which is what we were just talking about, right? Exactly as long as it is to maintain yourself and it isn't going out of your way to fuck everybody over <laughs> then selfishness is fine there is a virtue in that but one of the things that we have to work on that we have to have the discipline to work on is nonviolent communication because whenever people get hurt the immediate reaction is just to lash out at whatever hurts them it's it's part of that you know lizard brain of ours that you know primal hunter-gatherer like if something hurts we kill it um yes (laughs) (laughs) you know it's it's um if you identify faults in the way that you resolve conflicts you have to be able to stand firm in that ability to improve if you realize that whenever you and your partner have an argument that you kind of are a little bit of a dick you need to have the discipline to be able to work on that you need to have the discipline to work with your partner on that as well motivation is great But the motivation when it's based on a relationship is going to always sour. Motivation when it is based on anything is typically always going to sour because motivation is temporary. Discipline is worked on. Discipline is, I don't want to say artificial, but it almost is. Discipline is something that you create yourself. Motivation comes naturally, but as all things natural, they tend to go away.
1: Right. And discipline too, to kind of harken back to the top of the show topic again, let's say that you're one of those habitual liars, right? You need to be disciplined enough to be able to give uh, your full effort to cognitively stopping yourself from lying by choosing not to lie to your partner if you get into right. a heated situation. That comes from discipline. Because your motivation in that situation, you're going to be panicked. You're going to be trying to say whatever you need to say to kind of de-escalate that conversation. You're worried about hurting your partner. All, all, everything motivation is telling you is saying lie, 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 lie. Do what's easy. Discipline is choosing not to do that because you know that it's wrong and that in the long run, it's not working towards your long-term goals. You're actually gonna be damaging trust with your partner and it's not worth it. That short-term benefit is not worth the long-term damage. That comes from discipline. You know, motivation is emotional. Motivation is right now. Motivation is, is that, again, that, that outside intrusive thing. It's that thing telling, you, you gotta react right now. You gotta react right now. That's motivation, it's emotional. It's, it's very in the moment. Discipline is logical. It comes from your long-term goals. It comes from taking the long view. It comes from pausing uh, Taking a moment to just collect yourself and be mindful. That is where discipline comes from, right? So discipline is that logic that you take time for that you, you kind of step back from the moment You don't feel your feelings quite so intensely You step out of that and you look at things a bit more coldly. That's where discipline comes from So that's what's necessary in order to kind of keep your ego from getting out of control and focusing on those, you know, respond, respond, respond type things. That's how you prevent yourself from being a good listener because you're so worried about responding, right? Uh, that's that's really where nonviolent communication comes into this. Is just willing yourself to listen and not speak, willing yourself to receive information and not be constantly trying to inject, not be trying to persuade. It's being willing to just be there with another person, feel and hear what they're saying, and then work together, and taking turns doing that. We were actually coming uh, coming together in a much more passive way, right? So that is what we're talking about, and that again is very based in discipline and not so much in motivation. Exactly. It's it's as you said, it comes from a place of
0: mindfulness, and you know, it's there's a quote. I, I know that I've quoted Jack Horseman in the past, but it, it is an infinitely quotable show. There's a quote from the second season that paraphrased is you know, doing something is easy. Like it's easy to start doing something like it sucks. Like let's take, uh, in the show, they use the example of jogging, you know, it's easy to start jogging. Like it might be hard at first, but it gets easier as you build up endurance, as you are able to jog in a better form. The difficult thing about learning a practice is not the actual action, it's doing it regularly. The difficulty of discipline isn't the actual act of discipline, it is the consistency of discipline. And that's what a lot of people have to work on. I know that that's what I've had to work on in my life. It's great to have dreams and hopes and ideals, but if you don't really work on them, or you give up on them because things get too hard, or you take a sabbatical from your responsibilities, from your discipline. it Kind of sours the entire batch. It kind of fucks you over more than you would think it does. You can't kind of half-ass a you know a kind of discipline. You, you really can't have a half-ass discipline. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of impossible. Like you need to whole-ass it. Like like put your whole ass into it. Um,
1: <laughs> That's what you're all about, metricos. Oh.
0: <laughs> God, yes, please. Um, but, you know, on a more serious note, this is something that I see a little bit more often than I think that I should, and it's something that I do want to talk about discipline in relationships, and that is discipline doesn't just exist in relationships, and discipline for relationships isn't confined to a specific relationship. You shouldn't be disciplining yourself in order to make something in a specific relationship better, for example well, I'm going to be better for this person by doing this. You need to look at it in almost a more general spectrum. You don't need to look at it with individual names attached. And again, we're going back to the idea of being cold. There's a reason that I've been saying partner this entire episode. It's because it is almost a very clinical approach. Discipline, you know, from a stoic perspective is very clinical. It is taken from an objective third-party stance almost. And you can't really involve people in your discipline. You can't involve particular people in your discipline because what's going to happen is let's say that you make a commitment. Let's say that you say, okay, I am going to work on my ability to communicate. I'm going to work on my listening skills. And that is your commitment. And you develop discipline over that. And you work and you work and you work and you work and the relationship ends. If you have tied your discipline to a particular person, if you have hitched your wagon to a particular horse and that horse dies, you're kind of fucked because typically in cases like that, people will assume, well, I did everything I could for this relationship. I worked very hard on my listening skills for, you know, Jared or whatever the name of the person was that you were dating and it didn't work. So clearly listening skills not the problem. The problem is something else. I wasted all this time. I did nothing. They start quoting to me, Lincoln park. I tried so hard and I got so far in the end. It didn't really matter. No, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. The perspective is not doing good for a particular person. The actual fact of the matter is that you're doing good for yourself. You're not benefiting-
1: exactly. It- totally. Yeah. I completely support that. That's something I say all the time. It's so important. You know, yep.
0: I mean, you say that it you're you're you need to put the individual over the relationship, and in this case, the individual is yourself. Sure, th- other people are going to be the benefits of this work of your labors,
1: but yeah, uh, speaking of that, like you know, I'm someone who does tend to date mm-hmm. younger partners, and so like you know, we talk about the campsite rule and intergenerational relationships on a previous episode. But one thing that I definitely do in that vain is to make sure that when I'm you know I'm telling younger partners like hey this is these are things you need to do to improve. I say and by the way, you need to know that the improvements you're making, that has to be for you. You're not doing that for me. If you want this to change, I want you to want it for yourself. I want you to want that. I don't want you to do it because I want that. I want you to do it because you want that. Because that's how number one, they're going to avoid resenting me because otherwise when they have motivations to do other things and their discipline is to please me. That's a very easy way to develop resentment towards someone, and that can actually poison a relationship. You don't want your partners resenting that, resenting you because they're disciplining themselves for your benefit, not for their own benefit. The way that someone stays motivated to follow discipline and to be regular in the way that Metrico talks about is by making sure that the motivation uh, is there for the discipline to be for oneself. That's where motivation comes in, is making sure you're getting that emotional benefit is realizing, okay, I'm, I, I am moving towards my long-term goals, that should be motivating you to keep going. That's how that works. If you get some emotional feedback from knowing that you're advancing towards your own goals, and that's what keeps you motivated to stay regular. So that's how discipline and motivation are related in that sense of actually keeping you on target. And one of the huge things to do is to, again, be mindful that you're making progress for yourself and not for specific other people.
0: The important thing to kind of keep in mind and this is something that's a very difficult diff- like thing to discern is that when you have discipline for another person to improve your relationship with them it is no longer discipline it is devotion. you should not mistake the two you can be absolutely devoted in your relationship sure go for it have at it enjoy but discipline needs to be self-driven devotion, you want to be devoted to your partner, that's fine. But the thing is, is that discipline will always be stronger than devotion. You can be absolutely devoted to making your partner happy, but that devotion should not be mistaken for self-discipline. It's again, it's kind of this weird kind of confusing difference, but at the end of the day, you know, as we've said in a relationship, always maintain that discipline is to improve yourself. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how old your partner is. If you do it for anybody else, as Vero said, if that relationship ends, that discipline turns into resentment and you lose all of the practice towards good habits that you've worked on for so long. So make sure that you're coming from discipline in the right perspective in a relationship. As you know, the Steven Universe song says, don't do it for her. Don't do it for him. Do it for you. Don't become the white knight for your partner. Become the white knight for yourself. That being said, though, there is kind of the question. Motivation is great to kind of kickstart something that you're enthusiastic about. What about something that you're not necessarily enthusiastic about? How do you get over the requirement to have motivation to start a project?
1: Yeah, and this is something that I think if Koji were uh, feeling a bit better, he definitely would want to be talking about. But I will be playing the role of a fox this evening and talking about this on his <laughs> behalf since I'm at least familiar with his opinions. Right. But um, it's definitely a huge problem for us, especially artists in the fandom, fursuit makers, uh, freelancers, people who don't really need to have intrinsic motivation because they don't really have anyone looking over their shoulder. Nobody's going to be telling them you need to be doing this they don't have that external force to be reacting to so everything that that they're doing needs to be coming for themselves they don't have a commissioner standing over their shoulder saying get to work on my art you just have this cue right and the cue's not talking to you you get to choose whether you're, you're making progress on that or not so how do you get over the fact that you're not really motivated to draw that character doing that weird fetch that you're not even into but you took the money so now you have to draw it Right? (laughs) Where do you find that motivation to draw that really strange kink that you're not actually all that down for, right? Right. It's not something you're going to be craving. So that comes from discipline. And when you're trying to find that getting over the requirement for motivation to start and just jumpstart your discipline, you have to find motivation intrinsically in yourself, as we were just talking about. And the way to do that is through positive psychology. So I've read a really great book. Uh, called The Happiness Advantage that's by a guy named Sean Acor. I think that's how I pronounce his last name. I don't actually know. It's A-C-H-O-R. Acor. Uh, but he is a really cool dude. He's looked at how it is that happiness is actually uh, really flipped on its head, especially in, in kind of a Western sense of how we, how we approach it. We talk in this country about the pursuit of happiness. And um, Sean kind of talks about that being kind of a wrongheaded approach. That the way we get to happiness is not by chasing it, necessarily, uh, and it's not that we need to be happy in order to do things that we want to be doing, but it's actually that we do the work that is important to us in order to be happy. We don't wait to be happy in order to do important work. The important work actually comes first. That's the, me- that's the means and the mechanism through which we become happy. And uh, the reason that works is because, again, going back to the Greeks, going back to stoicism, going back to mindfulness, when we stop ourselves we make a deliberate choice to do something and we visualize ourselves working towards our long-term goals there's actually a dopamine response that happens in the brain you actually feel happier you feel a sense of progress a feeling of i'm i'm, I'm doing something it's good this is good this is what i should be doing and it's that dopamine response that can actually be motivating When what you're trying to do is work from a standpoint of discipline So that again, that comes from mindfulness, it comes from being very intentional, it comes from being logical, it comes from choosing to make progress towards your long-term goals and working towards yourself from a place of integrity. So, you know, that's great, that sounds wonderful, but how do you actually do that? That's tough. So the next piece of this puzzle is really to break things down into very small, discrete tasks and allow yourself to feel the satisfaction of checking those small, discrete tasks off of your list. You know, let's say that what you're working on is a five-character commission, and you have to do background, a background as well. Maybe you break it down into, you know, each character is their own little piece that you can check off. The background's a piece that you can check off. Then from each one of those, you can break it down to, I just, I'll just do the line work. I'll just do the shading. I'll just do, you know, the color. And so you got each one of those is now broken down. And so you've got each of these things broken down. Now you can say, oh, well, I guess I could get started. All I have to do today is the line work. All I have to do right now is this. And so you kind of just jumpstart yourself into working because you're, you've you broken things down to the point where the tasks don't really have this barrier that you don't, you don't really feel any barrier to wanting to accomplish them anymore because they they sound approachable, right? So you want to make things feel approachable. And then if that's still not enough, you're, you're someone who really needs a strong dopamine response to, to really kickstart yourself. You need to have that brain releasing your, its happy chemical in order to feel like you're doing the right thing. Um, you can actually do that yourself externally if you need to. Maybe keep a bowl of Hershey's Kisses on your desk and every time you check off you know a certain unit of work you allow yourself to eat a Hershey's kiss right so now you're giving yourself a little treat or maybe it's I'll play five minutes of the game that's on my phone or I will let myself read my manga for a couple of minutes or whatever it is you can give yourself little rewards that are built into making progress and now you're training your brain to follow that discipline right and so that'll reinforce that that dopamine response and really get yourself doing the things that you want to be doing so visualize your long-term goals make the conscious decision to start and then Let that dopamine response guide you.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned video games because video games have this built in nowadays called achievements for every small thing that you do for the progress that you make in the game. You get a little achievement. Maybe it's you did something kind of special, something kind of crazy. You get an achievement and you feel success. You feel happy because, oh, my God, I did that, you know in real life achievements exist too. (laughs) It's, it's all a matter of just kind of determining what they are. So if it's something that you're freelancing on, as Vera said, I mean, something that I do personally, whenever I'm working on a project is I, I have, my life is completely dictated by calendars and checklists. Like I, I pity the person who tries to like interfere with my life. Um, Everything that I do is a checklist. Everything that I do is dictated according to a calendar. And as soon as I'm done with something, check, check, check. And it's not that I reward myself with like Hershey's kisses. It's more I reward myself with time to relax, which is, trust me, a commodity and of itself that provides dopamine.
1: <laughs> yeah, but- I think uh, I think for for we adults here in the fandom, us gray <laughs> muzzles, uh, that definitely becomes a thing, right? Yeah. Speaking of that, I need to shave.
0: Um, (laughs) um, No, it's, it's, the thing is, is that, you know, life in itself can be an achievement system. If that's something that you need, if you need that, that straight up, just drive, like I need to be a completionist at video games. If you can 100% a difficult video game, you can get through your queue. I guarantee it. like, (laughs) so it, it just matters all about, you know finding systems that work for you. Um, I highly recommend the video game style achievement system like that. That has done wonders for me and
1: getting shit done when I didn't want to. But um, for sure, that definitely, that definitely helps. Um, but yeah, just, you know, there's also a really great, you know, like I said, going back to the, the Greeks, stoicism can help you with this. Mindfulness practices can help you with this. Buddhist practices can help you with this. Uh, but if, if those things sound a little bit too hocus pocusy to you, or you're not really that kind of hippy-dippy type person, uh, you can also read a very practical book that was written for corporate culture in this, this country. And I know I'm not usually one to speak in, in favor of corporate culture. In fact, you almost never hear me speak in favor of corporate culture. That's, uh, that's not exactly my cup of tea. But uh, getting things done methodology is the one thing I might take from American corporate culture. And David Allen is this kind of business guru who wrote this book called Getting Things Done, which is his approach to basically task management for executives. And it actually works for everybody. I use it myself in my freelancing because I, I guess technically I'm a small business owner. I, it's the way that I kind of organize my business. It's how I organize my work. It's how I keep myself motivated, how I make sure I'm getting things done, as the name of the methodology is called. So you can check out his website at uh, gettingthingsdone.com. He's got a really great short book out about that. There are a lot of task management apps these days that have his his methodology kind of built right in. So you can check out Getting Things Done methodology and see if it has a place in your life. But it kind of uh, takes some of these practices from stoicism and mindfulness and cognitive um, kind of psychology and positive psychology. And it kind of abstracts all that stuff away and just literally tells you this is how you do it. This is a methodology. So if you're someone who's a bit somewhere on the autism spectrum and you want to just kind of have a process to follow, because you don't care about that other shit. <laughs> this is like, okay, here's a process go. So I know that there, there is definitely continue of the furry fandom. Who's going to be very process oriented. Getting things done is extremely process oriented. You don't have to care about the underpinnings whatsoever. You can just have something to do that will work.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at it almost in like some parts of my life. I look at almost how like bees build a hive, like bees, they, they intrinsically have a system for everything that they do. And so for me, Finding and creating structure in my life comes from having a pattern. Like I try to regiment my life on a regular basis and like, okay, I'm going to wake up by this time. I'm going to do this and, this and then this and then this and then this. And for some people that isn't necessarily appropriate. Um, that's not something that they really enjoy. But for me, it works because I need to have that that type of regulation, Um it, it, it helps me because there's no need for me to feel motivated to get out of bed because I know that, you know, at a certain time I'm getting out of bed and it's not because I have something to look forward to. It's just because that's something that I do. When you do something, when you repeat something for a long enough period of time, there's no longer a need for motivation in a general sense. It's just something that you do. Motivation is always trumped by habits and habit becomes a way of life. It becomes a lifestyle once done over a longer period of time. That's why when people talk about promoting a healthy lifestyle, it's about eating healthy shit and going to the gym and not being a fat ass like me. (laughs) Um, like it is a lifestyle though. And it is something that requires you to make drastic changes potentially to your life. And it's something that you can't rely on motivation. Otherwise you're going to be a fat fuck like me, who has a membership to a gym that he hasn't been in like three months. Uh oh. Um, and they're just getting free money from me. What the heck is up with that? I can't even cancel. I got to send them a letter. This is highway robbery, I say. But the thing is, is that you have to make decisions in your life, whether they come from, you know, a a corporate <laughs> uh, perspective. I, I personally prefer "Who Moved My Cheese" as a corporate. Uh, <laughs> handout will say. But um getting things done does really work because it does promote the idea of once you have a system in place, once you have an understanding of how things are run in place and once everybody understands that. Because really you can't really have discipline without understanding. And so all parts of this mindfulness, you know, being completely in tune with yourself and your needs and your desires. All of that does play a part in this. Positive psychology goes a long way. And it's funny that you mentioned the whole, you know, you know, work to be happy, don't be happy to work, because a lot of people get that incorrectly. A lot of people also get the idea of, you know, live to work, you know, is is the way that we do instead of working to live. These types of mentalities can break a person. You, you you don't want to put all of your eggs in one basket. You don't want to base your happiness, your lively, everything off of your ability to work. You don't want it to be something that just comes. Work is like, I guess, the wind. It's, it's like mist almost. It's it's it's
1: kind of is mist. yeah like i think you're getting a little hippy dippy no 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 no
0: no 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 i'm not talking about mist i'm sorry i'm not talking about mist like the the natural i'm talking about the video game mist oh okay now i got
1: you okay now i got it
0: mist is a game yeah, for, I was going to go with, like, the wind, but I decided that I want to talk about video games because I fucking love this video game. So Mist is a game that kind of throws you into the shoes of a person, and you have to figure out what is happening, and you're given no direction. Work is like that. Life is like that. You're given no direction. And Mist is a game that you could cheat, sure, and you could use a little walkthrough, and you could be a hippy-dippy person that doesn't like a challenge, but life is all about challenge. Life is all about difficulty and life is about developing the discipline to handle that difficulty. It is about shoring yourself up through discipline, through habitual works, and through knowing yourself through mindfulness. With Mist, as you progress through the game, you're faced with a lot of difficult decisions. You're faced with a lot of difficult puzzles and it takes time and it is difficult. You want to give up. Lord knows I did as a kid. But the longer that you work at something, the more that you persevere at something, the easier it becomes to do. And you don't base your happiness off of those successes. You're happy because you're able to participate in something. You're happy because you're able to create something. You're happy because you're able to do something. You're generating something. You're not happy because of the end result. You can be proud of the end result, but that's fine. Take pride in your work. Take pride in yourself. But you don't need to take happiness in it. The happiness does not and should not always come from the end product. The happiness should come from the action in itself. And that's really why I think Myst is like discipline, because it's a difficult thing. You have no fucking clue what's going on. The longer you play, the more that you learn about it, the more skills that you learn. With discipline, it's kind of fucking crazy when you first start. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to find that you develop discipline in the wrong places, You're going to need to be flexible with yourself. Having integrity helps because you know what to look out for. Having emotional boundaries helps because you know what to look out for. But you're going to make mistakes. It's inevitable. Everybody makes mistakes. With discipline, though, you can kind of change those things. We talk all the time about not moving the goalposts when it comes to integrity and when it comes to emotional boundaries. With discipline, you fucking can. You can move those goalposts wherever the fuck you need in order to make yourself a better person that's the difference. Discipline works well. Discipline works for your life. Discipline works for you. But it's one of those things that only works when you get it to work. It's one of those things when you have, you have to understand yourself in order to make it work. You have to understand that you as an individual are frail and fragile and prone to fucking mistakes. We all are, but discipline can make you better at that. Integrity can make you a better person. Emotional boundaries can make you a better individual to interact with other people. But discipline makes you a rounded person. It rounds out the edges. We're all like fucking bricks. We're we're nothing but rough edges. But discipline is what sands those edges down and makes us better to handle. It makes us easier to handle. And it makes us more attractive to be with. In all of this, we've kind of talked a little bit about success. Success is a very important part of discipline because when people are disciplined, they tend to be successful. Success has many different definitions. We can go all the way back to Plato, who had an entire discussion on the definition of success. But we're going to talk about that next week. Next week, we're going to go into what success is because success has different meanings for a relationship, for life, for work, for all of that. Because these two things go hand in hand. We're doing a two-part episode in two different weeks. Because these two things, discipline and success and how it works hand in hand with a relationship, they all function together. And I know that I got a little bit heated here. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And I know I kind of got a little bit on a soapbox. But discipline is one of those things that when people complain about... When people have issues with discipline, when people blame discipline for their life's problems, the issue is not discipline. The issue is focus. Indiscriminate discipline is counterproductive. Be mindful of your life. Take ownership of your life. Take ownership of your mistakes. Retool discipline and focus it on areas that you need to become better in.
1: Anything else to add, Vero? No, I think that rounds out the uh, the main topic. Actually, we hit, <laughs> we hit that pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I
0: oh yeah. Again, apologies, but like it's one of those things where it is kind of a it is a thing for me. Like, I did finally beat Mist. By the way, I have like screenshots. <laughs> I had to draw maps. The dis- it took me years to finally beat that game, but I did it. Discipline is something that isn't immediate. It takes time, and it's
1: hard to start but it gets easier the longer you do it. Yeah, when people ask Koji, like, how do I become a good artist? He says, draw every day. That's right. it. That, that's my advice. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's really all it takes. It sounds stupid, but that's actually a really hard thing to do. Draw every day. And it, never, it Sounds easy, exactly. but it's actually really
0: hard. <laughs> and it never matters when you start or when you finish. It's irrelevant of whether you start when you're five or 50. All that matters is you fucking move. Chess is not determined by who moves first. It's determined by who moves the most consistently. Be consistent. That's what discipline is about. Consistency. With that, let's talk about the consistency in somebody's relationship with their fuck buddy. We received an email um, anonymously um, through our feedback form on our website. And it was titled, My friend with benefit and I don't have sex anymore. The questioner asks, uh, and they also provide a little bit of feedback. Um, so this boy and I have been seeing each other for about four months now, and we're both essentially happy. We're both products of a recently failed poly relationship and actually share an ex lover. Neither of us are looking for a relationship right now, but our sex is incredible. So we decided to define our relationship as friends with benefits our date nights were pretty predictable. We'd eat, we'd sleep, we'd fuck. And then we'd sleep again. At some point in the last month or so, he brought up the idea of seeing someone else other than me, and I told him that he didn't have a problem with it because that was why we were both still seeing single. Since then, however, we've literally only had sex once. I know he's having more sex than before because of his new partner's, but it's turned our date nights into very pseudo-romantic evenings, and I don't know how I feel about that. I don't want to fall in love with someone who's not looking for a relationship. But whenever we're together, it feels more and more like we're either grow- growing closer to a relationship or further away to just friends with no benefits. How do I know which it is, and what do I do?
1: So, um, I think there's the main thing under pinning this is really something that your friend seems to have going on, which is a a little psychological phenomenon we call the Madonna whore complex. (laughs) (laughs) And the Madonna whore complex is basically when you're using somebody for sex, um, it's really in a carnal objectification thing. And when you start sliding into that person, actually maybe sometimes some people become more invested in that person when you're not looking for a romantic relationship, that investment means that the sex falls away. So that person you can either have emotional investment or you can have sex but the two don't really go together very well. They either treat you like a Madonna and treat you very well and, treat, and give you that emotional investment and that empathy that you might be looking for, or they treat you like the whore and they fuck the shit out of you. Right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it looks like he's now taken on some, or whoever this person is is taking on some new partners. They're fucking the shit out of them, but they still value the connection they have with you, but they're not really looking to you for that sexual component any longer. So you're kind of shifting from being more of the whore to being more of the Madonna. So now when you're you having your date nights, there's emotional investment. You've kind of been friend-zoned, it sounds like, uh, essentially. And what you say is you know whether we're growing closer, or growing farther apart, it's not quite exactly that scale. You're growing closer on one axis and growing farther apart on another axis, right? The physical intimacy is dying out, but the emotional intimacy and the friendship and the, and the investment is actually increasing. So it sounds like you're being put into kind of like a, a, a fond friendship or a romantic friendship, but the, the friend-benefits relationship seems to be coming to a, a conclusion. So uh, there's nothing wrong with relationships changing over time. Uh, it's something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with, but that sometimes you look at someone for sex, and then sometimes later you look at that person for a different type of connection. And those transitions can be a bit rough. Uh, people don't really like being friend-zoned. People don't really, you know, they always kind of think it says something negative about them. If the connection changes, and it's no longer sexual. But just because you're no longer fucking somebody doesn't mean that they no longer have any value in your life or that you don't appreciate them as a person. That's a tad reductionist. And it's kind of sad that we would objectify people and be quite that shallow that just because sex isn't happening anymore, that person has to be completely banished from your life. I, mean, I think that's a little bit it's a little bit of a false dichotomy, right? So did you have anything added to that, Metrico? Um,
0: you ask how the, – the questioner asks, how do I know which it is? Um, I would just ask. I mean, this seems like something that's weighing on your mind, I would just ask. It does seem to me, however, I do conclude with Vero, um, the fact that he is not ghosting you, he isn't just like, well, we're, you know, there were no strings attached, we've cut those strings, by yeah. I mean, it seems like he values you as a friend. You both, you know, were metamores, or at one point you had somebody that you dated at, you know, different times that were not, we'll see, um. I'm, I'm forgetting the word, um,
1: consecutive perhaps. Uh, sure. Yeah. Why (laughs) not? Right. Yeah.
0: Um, the whole thing is that it sounds as if you're, you're equating things in an incorrect fashion, just because you're not having sex as often as you were, and you're still going and hanging out doesn't mean that he's automatically interested in a relationship.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. NRE phase, you guys had an NRE phase. The NRE died down. He's not fucking you as passionately anymore, anymore. And if he does have a component of the Madonna whore complex that means he's going to start treating you less in a less objectification way mm-hmm. and in a more of an emotional investment friendly way. And that's yeah. that's fine. Um and of course he's now going to be pursuing nre with new people and, and fucking the shit out of them. Doesn't mean that he'll never fuck you. Maybe mm-hmm. sometimes you guys are cuddling on the couch and occasionally that happens. Um, you can appreciate that for what it is. Uh, What you shouldn't do though is pine after this person and feel like you know This is gonna turn into something because it Mm -hmm. sounds like it's mellowing out. It doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like it's building to me It sounds like it's mellowing right and there's nothing really wrong with a relationship mellowing It doesn't mean that you're worthless or that he never liked you or that the sex was bad or any not any kind of negative commentary on you It just means that your relationship is mellowing and he doesn't quite feel that same spark that you might be feeling and that's okay Uh, now it's also possible you could just say okay if I don't get if I don't get a full relationship with this person I want it to end because I'm not getting the sex anymore. You can make that choice. But let's say this person continues to adventure and tries new people for a while, keeps looking for 6 months a year, and it all those relationships are kind of unsatisfying and they're not really f- feeling that same intensity of sex that they they had with you or they're not really enjoying the spark quite as much as they had with you. You know, the the, the banter, the bedroom talk, the, the pillow talk after sex isn't as good, right? And this person will come to the realization that actually maybe you were what they were looking for. But if you toss this person out of your life and explode at them now because, because of the way that you're feeling, you're going to deprive yourself of maybe having the chance for this person to realize that what they had with you is actually worth pursuing. Uh, sometimes people need to go out and try a few more things. If they, if they met you at a phase where they were maybe rebounding from a breakup, they think, okay, this person's great, but I'm not quite ready to settle yet. I need to go try a few more things. Let them, let that person keep you in their life. Maybe eventually they decide that you were actually the best. Option they had and they'll come around and at that point you might decide to pursue something Maybe you guys both experiment with other people for a while longer and come back to each other People circle back around to each other all the time uh, The only time that never had that doesn't really happen is if you completely burn the bridge and there's no need. There's no real reason to burn this bridge. He hasn't lied to you. He hasn't done. He hasn't broken any relationship terms He's been completely forthright telling you. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start fucking other people just letting you know Like you guys had that conversation. It's all in the open this person is doing nothing wrong. So just don't, don't treat them like they're doing something wrong just because you're having less sex. You can certainly ask, why are we having less sex? But, you know, if you put the person on the spot, be prepared to accept the answer they give you as well. You know, in general, I find that even if somebody finds
0: their 95%, they, they still always look up for that 100%. They're not willing to round that 95 up to, you know, 100 or round up a partner to one as I believe Franklin Vo says. Yeah. Or also, uh, actually, that's a Dan Savage. Oh, that is Dan Savage. Jesus. Aye, aye, aye. (laughs) I get get people confused all the time. I'm actually really terrible at that when it comes to quotes. Um, But the thing is, is that um, it could be, you know, I'm speaking in general because that could be what this guy is doing. Could be that he really identifies with you on a deep level. And that's why he still wants you to be, you know, in his life. And it could be that down the line, maybe it actually does become a romantic relationship where you fall in love and all things end happily ever after. Could be that maybe he found somebody that just has better sex with them. Maybe he's keeping you in his life because he does value you as a friend, but he doesn't really want to go through that with you because that might be a little bit insensitive. You never know. You know, there. If you want to know the truth, you always have to have the courage to accept it. And if you're going to go on a fact-finding mission, you know, be prepared. The answer could be anything. It could be nothing. It could be everything. So just be mindful of that. If this is something that is a significant issue, then definitely do discuss it. Do ask, why are we having less sex? Is everything okay? You know, don't come at it as like, you know, an accusatorial like thing,
1: like you're screwing the milkman. Like there's no need for that. Right, try to keep should out of it, right? Don't say you should be fucking me more. I, yeah. You know, There's no obligation here, right? You're going to say, like, hey, I'd, I'd love to be having more sex with you. Like, is the reason we haven't been having more sex lately, like, is curious. Approach it from place of curiosity, not from a <laughs> place of accusation. Right.
0: And just, you know, be willing to accept the answer. If he says, well, it's because, you know, I'm just having a lot of sex with this other person and I'm really enjoying that. And, you know, once, I mean, that's fine. You know, you have to be willing to accept that. Maybe what you should do, maybe while you're not having as much sex with this guy, maybe you seek somebody else out and you have sex with somebody else. You never know. Maybe you'll find something a little bit better. Maybe you'll learn something new. You never know. So, I think what you should do is just consider what might be happening and consider your next steps. We've given you quite several,
1: and just determine what's best for your life and your circumstance. Right. You don't have to put up with anything that isn't what you're looking for. If you wanted this relationship to always have a sexual component and you just can't bear the thought of being close to this person without banging banging each other like crazy, then maybe you need to break it off. That's, that's something only you can know, and that depends on your own integrity and your own boundaries. If you're comfortable with it maybe being uh, companionate and not being so sexual for a while, whether it eventually builds back up into being sexual once this person comes back around to you, whether it always just it stays mellowed out and and primarily non-sexual going forward Uh, if you can accept those things and still get value out of the relationship more power to you but that's uh, up to you to know
0: right so i think with that we're going to move on to we have a second question this episode um and we received this question um anonymously as well and uh they ask through many relationships i have never felt love from the other person I am always depressed, whether I am dating or not, but perhaps actually less so when I am single. I think joining a pack in which everyone loves each other deeply, both sexually and romantically, would help. What do you think? Should I try to find
1: a pack? And if so, where do I look? Well, since I am the resident pack animal, I think I will tackle this one first, Metrico. Uh-huh. Uh, so I I have a pack. I'm a pack alpha. I actually you know enjoy living the pack lifestyle. But... Um, the thing is, you don't necessarily, speaking as a pack alpha, it's not like I'm out recruiting, right? Like, I'm not like, I need another fox. I need three more foxes and a wolf for my pack. And you go to the the fox store, and then you go to the wolf store, and you pick the best fox, and you pick the best wolf. You've got a pack, <laughs> not a menagerie. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it, that's not exactly how packs tend to work. So saying, where do I, where do I find a pack who's taking applicants? Um, that's right i mean that's kind of more like the old leather guard type thing like the in like the le- gay leather community it might be a bit more like that where it's very regimented and it's not very personal because it's it really comes down to this idea of like discipline and and bondage uh not not quite the same kind of discipline we were talking about earlier <laughs> <laughs> right but most packs especially packs that operate in a more of an egalitarian or somewhat egalitarian way uh where you're not really you know 100 that discipline mindset they don't really go recruiting they tend to form really organically when different people come together. Uh, maybe different people, members of the pack, meet in different ways. I mean, my pack started when I met Koji, who's my husband. And then over time, we met other partners who then you know would enter into my, our relationship. And so we would form a V triad or a full triad. And then let's say that I go to a convention, and I really click with somebody, which has happened. And now I'm dating this other person. And then I maybe you know I, I introduce them to the rest of my pack, and the rest of the pack likes them. So then either one of two things happen: I continue dating that person independently, or eventually they come into the relationship, and I'll start also being involved with the other people who are in the relationship. Uh, and that's a, it's an organic process. It's not like I went out to that con thinking I'm going to find a new person for my pack. It's just oh, met this person at a party, we really clicked, had some amazing sex, and now I'm, I feel like I'm romantically invested in this person. And then you pursue that relationship and see where it goes. It's The way I approach pack life is I form new relationships with people when I open to the idea of that my emotional bandwidth isn't saturated. And then I, I see where those relationships settle in terms of their natural intimacy level. And I allow my other partners to do that too. So I'll meet somebody, say, OK, you are really amazing. You're going to be a life mate for me. OK, you've risen to life mate status. That's awesome. Now you have to figure out what where you are with Koji. Maybe with Koji, you're just a fuck buddy. Maybe with Koji, you're just a friend. Maybe with Koji, you're just a friendly acquaintance. Maybe with Koji, you're also a life mate, right? Each of my... So it's not like the pack is a one, like an organism, one, one relationship. The pack is actually a series and a, and a network of different relationships. It's a web. I don't impose relationships on other people in my pack. Let's say that I decide to break up with somebody in my pack. I think it'd be some packs do function this way, where if, you know the pack alpha says I'm done with this person. Now all of you have to be done with that person. You, we, we all block them together, right? And it's like an excommunication or a shunning, like we're more like you know we're we're a, you know being some kind of religious sect, right? That's not how I operate, and I don't think that's how most healthy packs operate. It's I'll express why I've broken up with this person and say, you know, you guys can make your own educated decision whether or not. Your boundaries have been violated. If you want to continue seeing this person or being romantically invested in this person, you're welcome to do so. But as you know, I'm no longer invested in this person. That's something that can happen. The reason I spell all of this out for you is I feel like your approach to packs is not quite right because you're looking for this kind of I, this wrong headed idea of, of a pack, which is this, you know these group of people who are just looking to add somebody and it's this idea that people are replaceable or interchangeable like we're not we're not worried about organic chemistry with this you know or particular person we just want you know a person to fill this role that we're auditioning for people don't fill roles if not that's not really how it works you form connections to people you don't form you don't audition people for roles it's not like hiring for a company right there's no job like i'm looking for a slutty fox who's bottom verse like, it's not a job application, right? That's not really the way that you approach relationships. and It's not really the way that you should, at least, because it's not going to be a very uh, meaningful personal connection. It's, again, going to feel like role play constantly. Some people are into that in a DS context, but most people are not into wanting to lifestyle a role. They actually want to be able to organically connect with people. So don't look for a pack. That's not the right way to approach things. Just off the bat, don't look for a pack. You want to be worried about the connections you're forming and the individual connections you're forming with people. Uh, People are more important than relationships. The people in the relationships are more important than the relationship. You're not looking for a pack you're looking, you might be looking for one to, one to X number of people who you all get along with. And if that happens for you, awesome. But you're not just going to go interviewing for a pack and fi- magically find a group of four people who you cl- click with magically all at once. And you're just going to suddenly have a, per- a super happy relationship where you just insert yourself into this pack and everything's great. That's not realistic at all. Just does, That doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it happens vanishingly rarely, Right. Yeah. I don't know I don't know of any functional packs that form that way or that it take new people into them that way. They form organically because one person in the pack meets that person and brings them in and says, "Hey, this is what I like and appreciate about this person. Why don't you get to know them?" And then things can develop from there. All of that being said, this you talk about really wanting a relationship and I can, I can definitely empathize with you to all the advantages that pack life offers because I live in a pack myself and I really love the fact that, you know, when Koji's feeling sick as he has been lately. I can let him be and let him recover. But even though he's napping, I've got one or two other mates that I can get on Skype with or get on Discord with. I'm never lonely because I've always got someone who I'm really emotionally invested in who's available for me. And that's awesome. I love that. But again, that has to form organically. That, that's not something that you can just go out and buy off the shelf. And also, if you really don't really have a history of relationships being good... Um, We've talked about how polyamory is actually a varsity level relationship structure. Pack life is a varsity level thing to be doing. You don't want to be jumping right into the deep end of the pool. It's very hard to get good at polyamory when you haven't been good in at previous relationships that were more monogamous because monogamy, you know, it's not like, there's a, it's not like evolution. It's not like polyamory is superior to monogamy. And I, I always hate describing it as a progression because it always seems to imply to people that I'm in favor of polyamory and not in favor of monogamy. That's absolutely not true. They're both equally evolved. They're both equally um, you know, valid things to be doing. However, monogamy is a stepping stone to polyamory. It's, it's not that you, can't, you, you have to leave and that you have to go to polyamory, but being good at monogamy will make you better at polyamory. That's just how it works. And monogamy is just a simpler system. It's like, it's like getting yourself started. You don't necessarily jump into it when you're playing a new video game. You don't jump to the hardest level, right? You get started with learning the mechanics of how to play the game by starting with simpler systems, simpler levels. You've got the tutorial system. You've got, you know, you, you, you progress. So polyamory is like one of the last levels of a video game. You have to get really good at the mechanics of the game before you can really succeed with the polyamory. Uh, and you learn those mechanics through simpler levels, uh, and just, and I don't mean to say simpler as an inferior. I just mean it's simpler. There's fewer moving parts. Monogamy has fewer moving parts, so it's easier. As a as when you're learning the mechanics of how to relate to other people, well, monogamy is a good place to start. Does that analogy make sense to you, Metrico?
0: Yeah, it's. I kind of want to focus on something else though, and um, kind of taking one of the things that you said. Um, we don't fill roles in a relationship. I mean, if you think about like sex, I mean, sex is just filling holes. Um, you mentioned that you struggle with the questioner struggles with depression. And it sounds as if they're trying to find a relationship that is going to fix them from being depressed, that will save them from their depression. And that's not going to work. Um, depression, you're, you're trying to kind of put like, a whole bunch of other stuff on top of just a shitty foundation. If you don't tackle your depression head on when you are alone and you don't find ways to cope with it when you are alone, when you are with another person, whether it's one, one or two or however many people you are in this pack that you want to find as if it's um, like sea monkeys that you just put in water and they grow from a pouch. You shouldn't be thinking about a relationship right now. I'll be perfectly honest. You need to be focused on yourself. You need to be focused on figuring out what is the source of your depression. And don't tell me that it's being single. That is bullshit. I'm just going to come out and say it. You're not depressed because you're single. You're depressed because you're alone. You're depressed because there are things about yourself that you do not like. There are things that you maybe just cannot stand about yourself, and you need to address those. Maybe it's a chemical imbalance that you have, and you need to address that. The fact is, is that being single never really is depressing. It's the act of being alone. You need to learn to be alone in order to be with other people. Until you are at peace with yourself, by yourself, you'll never really be able to enter into a peaceful relationship with somebody else thing is, is that relationships are not always going to be forever peaceful. The fact is, is that with polyamory, the more people you have, the more personalities, the more relationship ties, the more drama. If you can't sustain a monogamous relationship, like Vera said, it's very difficult to sustain a polyamorous relationship when you have to focus on all of those different things. There's also the idea that because you've never really had a successful monogamous relationship, that's going to color the way that you perceive a polyamorous relationship. It sounds like you are so dedicated to making this work that you are going to be looking through rose-colored glasses and you're going to miss every single red flag because you are not going to be looking at them. You're going to be overlooking them or you're going to be explaining them away. You cannot do this without addressing the core issues. Relationships, for you, might need to be placed on hold as you sort out your own internal issues. The more issues from outside that you add on, the more difficult it becomes to kind of suture everything up. You need personal triage before you can fix the relationships that you have had or will have. And that's my take on this. Don't focus on other people quite yet. You're always depressed. You said it. You are always depressed. Fix that. Find a way to correct that. And once you do, you're going to find that you were more able to welcome other people into your life because you don't know it could be the reason that you're having issues with relationships is that you're sabotaging them yourself there are a lot of things that go into this so fix yourself and fix your depression before you move on
1: yeah i, I just want to point touch on one other point that definitely supports metrica's idea i latched on the pack thing because that's kind of my wheelhouse i wanted to explain why looking for a pack was kind of a bad idea but yeah there's there's even more fundamental things that are wrong here another thing that you mentioned is that you never were able to feel love in a relationship. That is a sign. That's a huge red flag to me that you don't love yourself and you really do need to be able to love yourself in order to feel love from other people because you can't accept love from other people unless you feel like you are worthy of love. And in order to feel worthy of love, you need to love yourself. So if you're feeling constantly depressed because there are things about yourself that you cannot love, you need to become comfortable with yourself and comfortable in your own skin first and really embrace yourself despite your flaws and really be honest with yourself. We talked about before being honest with yourself is so important. Being honest with yourself, embracing your flaws and saying, hey, I do these things I don't like, but I'm working on them. Here's how I'm addressing these things. I'm going to, I'm going to get better at all of these things. That is super, super important to be able to accept yourself in that way. And again, in polyamory, we say when you... The existing relationship is broken. When there's tons of drama going on and things are unsettled, that's never the right time to be adding new people. You don't want to follow the model of, oh, this relationship's not working, so let's add more people and distract ourselves. You kind of are taking that exact same approach, but you're starting from an even a different place. You're starting from the place of being single. You're saying, I'm just going to keep throwing people at myself and just be surrounding myself with so many personalities and so much stuff going on and inject myself into all these relationships and drama and complication and sex that I'll be so distracted from myself that I don't have a chance to, to be alone with myself long enough to feel my depression. The problem is, no matter what, you're always alone with yourself. You always go to bed alone, right? Matt, you were talking about that before we sat down to record the show. Mm-hmm. You said you always go to bed alone, even if you're sleeping right next to your partners. So you'd still need to be okay with yourself in order to be in that situation. Even if that is what you envision yourself being happiest in, is a pack environment, you still need to get happy with yourself first. <clears throat> Excuse me, before you can be happy in that group environment.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned the idea of like, stop throwing. You're not a Mardi Gras float. You're not a parade float. There's no need to throw crap on crap on crap on crap on crap. The floats broke. The floats broke. That float don't flow. Like you need to correct the fundamental mistakes. For the record, you are worthy of love. You are worthy of being in a healthy relationship. Everybody is. It's just finding your self-worth. You set that boundary. You set that line. You set that standard. And it sounds like you haven't been able to do that yet. So pause. Take all of the shit off of the float that you're building and start from scratch. But this time, edit. I think that's going to be it for this
1: episode. Yeah, I think that rounds us out.
0: You know, it's, I've already kind of spoiled next week's topic. We're going to be talking about the definition of success. What defines success in your life, in your relationships, in your hopes and dreams, in your future and your past? What is the definition of success and how do you define it to work for your life? Or can you define it at all? If you have questions about this week's episode, questions about success, about anything really, feedback, comments, concerns, Send it to us. We have a contact page on our website at feralattraction.com/contact. You can contact us anonymously through our contact page, that's on the actual page itself, or through our Ask FM. We have many ways that you can get into touch with us. Um, email. You can send us a Twitter message. Um, again, with questions that are sent, we do ask for your patience, as we do have a long list of things to get through and it's not always possible for us to give an immediately like an immediate 100% like two second turnaround on a question. We do try to reserve those for the show. If you're not comfortable with asking us a question for the show that you would be okay with us having on our advice column or on the show itself, then do please be aware that there will be even further of a wait time for those as we do tend to focus on things that we can't actually address in a more public fashion. This is about helping everybody because you don't know who else might be experiencing the issues that you're having and how, who else that might be able to help.
1: Yeah. And Metrico and I both have limited time. So we have to invest our time where we can help most people. And that's going to be with the questions that we're allowed to air on the show. That's just how that works. Yeah. Uh, one other point that I, I will make too is, uh, you know, we haven't been getting a whole lot of questions in in auditory form, which we'd like to get mm-hmm. some more of. So uh, we do have a phone number that we list on our website that you can call and leave a voicemail, Metrico, What is that phone number?
0: It's nine four nine four oh shit. That is nine four nine four oh shit.
1: As in, oh shit, my polyamorous relationship is falling apart, and I need to. T- I need to ask Vero, what the fuck do I do? You dial nine four nine four oh shit, and then we tell you what to do. That's how that works.
0: Leave a message.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> You can also send us a message uh, via Telegram. You can send it to, to Metrico or to myself as an audio message and say, hey, this is for the show. Just tap that, hold that, that mic button. We can, mm-hmm. we can import that in the show just fine. Uh, and we, we definitely welcome those types of things. Exactly. Uh, now, one other piece of, uh, of business that we had that is kind of unique to this week, we're recording the show in very early November. Yes, uh, Metrico and I both, you know, we have our own politics But for the purposes of feral attraction, we kind of talked about whether we wanted to make any endorsements this election season. And based on the topics of our show, which are, you know, ethical polyamory, we talk about LGBT issues a lot, uh, the things that are really important to us, you know, basically, you know, privacy in the bedroom and, you know, rights to personal agency, reproductive uh, rights, female reproductive rights, all of these types of things. Um, We really feel that we have to, you know, in the system that we have in this country right now, we have to endorse the candidate who is best going to be able to protect and enshrine all of those things for the next 48 years, right? And so that's why we want to endorse, through our show, uh, Hillary Clinton for president uh, this election cycle. And I know I, I personally was a huge proponent of Bernie Sanders. That was, that was who I backed in the Democratic primary. Uh, I am deeply sad that Bernie Sanders is not a presidential candidate this election cycle. But I, like Bernie, would like to see Hillary win this election rather than the alternative, which is Donald Trump, because at least I can rely on Hillary to preserve the status quo for LGBT rights that we've maintained so far. We at least will not be wanting to roll back the clock and appoint Supreme Court justices who will roll, roll back the clock on progress the way that uh, Donald Trump would be willing to do. So we need to vote strategically this election cycle. We do currently have. A two-party system where one of those two candidates is going to win the election. That's just how it works. Uh, I'd love there to be more more parties and more options that are actually viable. But as far as viable candidates go, we only have the two this election cycle. And we don't want to uh, repeat the mistake that was made in, the, in 2000. Ralph Nader uh, ran that election. He had very similar policies to Al Gore, who uh, he opposed in the Democratic Party. Uh, Al Gore lost to uh George Bush by just 536 votes in the state of Florida, which was the kind of linchpin state that turned the election in Bush's favor, while Nader collected over 90,000 votes in Florida. If Nader had not run, it's estimated that about by exit polling that about 45,000 to 50,000 of those votes would have gone to uh, Al Gore. And Al Gore Mm -hmm. would have won uh, Florida by a relative landslide compared to the very narrow margin that he lost to George, uh, George Bush. So we would have had as president uh, almost certainly Al Gore in the year 2000 if Ralph Nader had won. I don't think you can find too many Ralph Nader supporters who can say that they are happier that George Bush was in that White House for eight years than having Al Gore in that White House would have been for them, right? Anyone who's in the Green Party or support you know support Nader's Raiders, they would have... They Al Gore is practically still a wet dream for them compared to george bush right so you got to think strategically you don't want to you know the liberals especially have this this trend of splitting their vote by going to spoiler candidates because they don't feel the democratic party is far left enough i empathize with that i'm far i'm much further left than the mainstream democratic party myself but i would still much rather have a more centrist left-leaning government than a far-right government that is what donald trump is espousing right so uh, that's my personal views. For the sake of the show, though, just based on LGBT issues, I think Hillary is the right president for advancing the LGBT issues that are near and dear to Feral Attraction's heart. So uh, those are not personal endorsements, but that is a endorsement for the show, Hillary for president in uh, 2016.
0: So please go vote. Please vote.
1: Yes. Please please vote. Please, please, please do vote. vote. I don't even please. care if you do vote for a third-party candidate vote, please, (laughs) please
0: vote, vote your conscience, vote who you think will do best. But it is important that everybody becomes involved in the political game and the political spectrum. And everybody should be aware as to what's going on in their country. If you have, if you expect to have agency in your personal life, then you need to be involved in politics in some fashion or another, not saying that you need to run for office, but you need to be aware of who your local candidates are, who your national candidates are, what their policies are. Make informed decisions based off of your own research and based off of the information that you're able to find. And at the end of the day, you'll be an informed member of the American populace. But
1: you don't get to do that if you don't vote. So go vote. Please vote. The next president is going to name right off the bat, almost certainly one Supreme Court justice, perhaps more. Uh, That's a big deal. That's so it's not just the presidency that's at stake here, there's Roe v. Wade, there's women's reproductive rights, there's the right to get married, there's gay, I mean, for gay for gays. Um, there's trans rights that are on coming up soon for evaluation at the Supreme Court level. So there's lots of other issues besides just who's sitting in the White House that we have to worry about. Uh, and the constitutional interpretation issues that, that are handled by the Supreme Court, that's also going to be determined by who we elect this election cycle. So keep that in mind. Definitely vote your conscience, but also keep in mind that we do have pretty much a two-party system, and you don't want to get in a situation like we had in Florida in the year 2000 either. That's my personal take, at least.
0: So, go vote. If you want to do something for our show while you're waiting in the voting line, you can always leave us a review on iTunes or on the Google Play Store. Tweet us your pictures, by the way, of you wearing go vote, you know, I voted stickers. Do not, do not, do not, do not, for the record, do not vote, like tweet, take pictures, share anything of you actually marking a ballot. Do not do that. Don't take pictures of that. Don't take video. Don't share that. In a lot of states, that invalidates the ballot, it invalidates your vote. Don't do that. Don't do that shit. Don't wear political shirts when you go vote. Don't wear shirts that say Hillary or Trump or Nader or whoever you endorse for candidate, Mickey Mouse. I don't care. Nothing political. Get in, get out, take a picture of you wearing an I Voted sticker, tweet it at us. We love them. Be involved. But don't take politics into the voting booth. It's really bad. Don't do that. So instead of doing that, listen to our show. We talk about sex, and there's nothing political about that. You can leave (laughs) us a review on iTunes or on the Google Play Store. You can tweet at us. We love to interact with everybody, and we're pretty much up all the time because of our weird, wonky schedules.
1: And being on the West Coast is strange,
0: yes. Yeah, you guys are really strange over there, um, you know, but if you want to make a more, uh, if you want to make a different kind of donation, we do have a Patreon where you can become a patron. We have different tiers with different donation levels. Um, some of them include shout outs like the shout out for snares. Who has a patreon of his own at patreon.com snares for meteor showers which is his crowdfunded webcomic about muscles and
1: inflation and growth and bara and huff daddies yeah those aren't even my kinks but i have to say the art style is pretty damn great so even if that's even if that doesn't appeal to you just you can probably appreciate the yeah. aesthetic because it's pretty damn great so check this it out it's pretty rad um You
0: can also command us to attend a convention. And if you're curious about which conventions we'll be attending, we do have that on our website where we list the upcoming conventions, any panel information that we'll be having and all of that good stuff. Or you can just ask us. We'll let you know. I think the next convention that will be attended is MFF.
1: Correct. That will be at MFF code. You will also be at MFF. So we catch us there if you'd like.
0: And hey, if you donate enough money, if you were a specific tier on our Patreon, you can command Koji and Vero to hang out with you. You can compel them. How exciting would that be? Indeed. You can't compel me, though. I'll be at home probably not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got the short end of the stick there, though. But anyhow, anything else you'd like to add for this week, Vero?
1: I think that rounds us out. All right. Well, in that case, go vote. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. Be well.
0: The bottom, 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 the, 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 the